You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program on what seems to have been a rather uh, dank morning here in Johannesburg. A little bit wet, a little bit rainy, a little bit cold. Um, so I guess uh, winter has finally arrived after threatening that it was coming for so long. So it looks like uh, that is where we are. But uh, at least it did give us a very pleasant, delightful even Sunday uh, in, which to, in which to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, so if you were celebrating Mother's Day, I hope that you had a great time out there uh, and celebrating all those important mothers uh, who are just great uh, and out there for their kids. And uh, so thanks to moms everywhere for all the good work that you do. We do appreciate it, uh, even if it is just one day of the year. Uh, but no, we appreciate it all the time. So I, I personally enjoyed that quite a lot. And uh, if it, despite the fact that it is a little bit on the cold side outside, we're definitely going to be having a nice toasty warm uh, show coming up for you in the next uh, hour, 45 minutes, talking about all the different things that are going on uh, affecting uh, the the Jewish world. Uh, Later on, we're going to be looking into a new uh, um, exhibition that is uh, talking about Israel and uh, South Africa and uh, perhaps some ways that you haven't seen uh, Israel before. So that's going to be interesting. Also talking about uh, President Rivlin's trip to Ethiopia uh, in everything that's been going on seems to have been missed uh, a little bit. So we're going to be talking about why is President Rivlin, uh, why was he in Ethiopia? What was that all about? Also, it's Yom Yerushalayim this week, as today, in fact. Uh, so, and a very special Yom Yerushalayim because it comes just a couple of days before the big embassy move. So we're going to be talking about a history of embassies in Jerusalem. Uh, is Trump really the first guy to ever move an embassy to Jerusalem? Well, we're going to find out uh, as part of our uh, as part of uh, our, our show today. So that is all going to come. And of course, it is a huge week in Israel uh, this week. We had the P- Trump pulling out of the Iran deal, which is going to cause all sorts of waves. Uh, and then, of course, we had. Some, uh, some, we have Yom Yerushalayim and the embassy moving this year. We've had this fighting out in, uh, between Syria and Iran. That's also the biggest flare up yet. So that's all huge. But for just a moment, I wanted to talk about something else, which is very big in <laughs> the Jews in the world. And I'm sure that you even heard about it on this morning's show, uh, because it has been not just Israeli news, but worldwide news. But it's worth, uh, discussing because right here on this show, Several months ago, we, we actually flagged that this would be an upcoming issue uh, and something that we, we, we would have to look at. And happily, it's v- turned out very well, uh, and I didn't even think it would. I thought that we wouldn't quite get this far. But, but you have to give it to Neta Brazzarielli, right? Uh, she is the singer from Eurovision uh, of, of Toy, uh, the song with all the chicken sounds and all the clucking and everything. And people just thought it was the craziest song uh, ever. And yet she, she went and she did it, uh, and, and as soon as it popped up on the charts, uh, our excellent sound manager, uh, Guy, who, who lives in Israel, um, and has of course been here on the show before, uh, he, he picked up that this was going to be a thing, and within 24 hours it was already playing on our station. And, and it, it immediately got hits all over the world. Within the first week there was about 3 million hits on YouTube, then 5, then 10. 
And by the time uh, a couple of months into Eurovision rolled around, it was on a whopping 13 million views on, on YouTube. It wasn't always particularly well liked. People didn't uh, like the fact that it was a bit weird, a bit strange. But nonetheless, it was uh, a, a, a huge, huge uh, in, in engagement with, with, with this song. And it was going to, to Eurovision. And and of course, then like groups like the BDS tried to to get involved to say that it shouldn't win uh, to, to try and organise because how the Eurovision works is that juries have to vote in different countries, but also uh, people vote. So they were trying to get people not to vote uh, for the song. And and I actually thought that maybe it wouldn't have won because there have been uh, cases when I looked it up of Eurovision where the frontrunner song, which was a frontrunner for so long, uh, doesn't actually win, and yet. She did an amazing performance once, twice. Uh, you had to do pre-performances and main performances, and she blew the crowds away, uh, and people were really excited. And despite the bizarreness of the song, um, it has a strong message about being who you are, uh, you know, say, taking control. It does not only apply to women, I think, although that's cl- very clearly part of the song's appeal. And uh, it, if you listen to uh, her story... Brazilian story. She talks about how she wasn't accepted because she says she's fat and people didn't want to speak to her, uh, and and she decided to just be herself. Uh, and it was difficult for people to accept. But once she started being herself, um, eventually, look where it got her. And so I think it's a great and positive message. So all power to her. She's only 25 years old. Uh, used to play in a military band. Um, and and a wedding band and all sorts of things, uh, but she's particularly famous for using a voice synthesizer in in interesting ways. And and an interesting South African connection is that one of her favourite bands is De Antwoord, uh, which uh, if you know De Antwoord, they have also not crazy lyrics; they're more scary actually, but very crazy visuals. And and so Netta is a big fan of theirs. So nice South African collection, connection uh, to this as well. So well done to Netta. And so we, we're definitely going to have to do the next segment. We're going to take a break, but we're then going to be listening to Toy. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review and uh, welcome back to the program. Hope you enjoyed Toy, by the way. If you want to be part of the show, always happy to take your news views and abuse uh, at any time. SMS us 34519, you can uh, WhatsApp us 0618951019, um, email us on airchaifem.com, tweet us at airchaifem any time that you wanted to uh, uh, engage. We are happy to hear from you. Uh, we really, uh, you know, enjoy it, love it. So, please feel free. Don't feel bad. Uh, we are happy to. We're happy to to chat to you uh, and engage, and uh, you know, find out uh, what it is that you're thinking on on the show. So, today, Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, Six-day war uh, recapture of Jerusalem. Uh, it's also the English date of Yom Ha'atzma'ut coming up this week. So we really would be very amiss if we were to do a show and not talk about Jerusalem in some way. And particularly, obviously, uh, with Trump wanting to move the embassy, uh, talk a little bit about that. So first of all, if you're not sure by now, uh, why is this such a controversial move? So... In 1947, uh, the 
there was what was called the partition plan where uh, they decided that they would divide up the land, the United Nations, into two two halves. The one would be an Arab state uh, and the one would be a, a Jewish state. The states were roughly the same size, uh, except that they gave the Jews the desert and the arable land to, to the Arab state. Um, and... Uh, and and this was the solution. The Jews said, "Fine, we'll take it uh, and run with it." And uh, the Arabs rejected it, and that's what resulted in uh, the first the first Arab-Israeli war, or, or the War of Independence, as it's known in Israel. Now, where did this all leave Jerusalem? So, the international community apparently wasn't keen to trust Jerusalem to anybody. Uh, so, as part of that agreement. Uh, Jerusalem was supposed to be an international city uh, run by some combination of the United Nations uh, or uh, who knows some body um, that was um you know that was supposed to you know was supposed to look after the city in any case nothing like that ever happened because at the end of the war uh, there was this situation where uh, the Jordanians took what we now call the West Bank uh, or Judea and Samaria, and they ended up in the eastern half of the city, including what's known as the Holy Basin, which is where uh, the, the Temple Mount is, which is uh, important for the Muslim community, uh, and the Wailing Wall, um, important to the Jewish community, and of course that whole temple site, which was the original site of the temple, which makes it even important for the Christians, not to mention the Jews uh, in particular, and, and and basically the old city in general, which is uh, which would have been under uh, you know under Jordanian rule, where Jews were uh, excluded. And if you go to, to Israel today, uh, if you've ever decided to enter the Jaffa Gate, which is uh, one of the main places where uh, tourists go to enter the city, once you cross that street, uh, that runs, I think it's. King George Street, if I'm not mistaken, where you can actually see bullets in the walls from where that used to be no man's land. Uh, once you cross that, you're crossing into what's known as East Jerusalem, Okay, uh, technically speaking. Now, you wouldn't know you've m- marched into East Jerusalem, uh, but in terms of the map, that's sort of where everything sat. By the way, if you ever go through that Jaffa Gate, do yourself a favor and go look at the mezuzah donated by the Jewish community, uh, which is kind of cool. So anyway, that's where uh, matters sat for a very long time, uh, and there were issues getting to the wall, etc. Along comes 1967, and the Jordanians opened fire on uh, Israeli positions. And uh, in response, the Israelis uh, fight back uh, and end up taking the rest of the city, including the, the Western Wall. And that's kind of how it has sat ever since. Uh, lots of uh, Lots of... Issues around that. How do you treat the Arab population in East Jerusalem? Do they still consider it, uh, uh, you know, occupied territory like like the international uh, community says? The, the Israelis say no, they've annexed East Jerusalem. Some of the East Jerusalemites live there, but they don't vote. It's a very, very, very complex city with very, very complex issues. Nonetheless, one of the big issues has been that since that time, uh, many countries have uh, focused on this idea that they didn't want to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, Even though the Israelis said that this is our capital, some of the consensus, particularly later on, was that this would have to be partitioned like the rest of everything else, and East Jerusalem would go to the Palestinians, who by now were were claiming it as their own, and West Jerusalem would stay 
uh, with with the Jews, and there would be some uh, disagreement or some again some sort of interna- interna- internationalization, maybe of the Holy Basin or. The, they would run the top part and we would run the bottom. All sorts of complicated formulations. By the way, the, the Temple Mount is not run by Israel. Israel is in charge of the security. And uh, the Temple Mount, uh, where the big golden dome is and the other dome is actually run by something called the Waqf, which is a sort of Jordanian-Palestinian religious authority. So it's all very, very, very complicated. So part of this issue was embassies and where people could put embassies. And Donald Trump uh, has been... One of those people who's now said that they're going to move uh, the American embassy to Israel, which is not something that's ever happened before. The international community broadly has always stuck to this original uh, separation where Jerusalem was going to be an international city, even though that hasn't been the case for 70 years now and was a plan that was rejected by the, the Arabs and the Palestinians in general. And and so no one has ever really moved except 20 years ago. Uh, Bill Clinton, uh, with the support of both uh, houses of uh, the American Senate and the Congress, voted the Jerusalem law that they would move the American embassy to Jerusalem, which, by the way, is currently in Tel Aviv uh, and sits on a beachfront uh, overlooking the water and is very, very nice. So if I was a, uh, a State Department official in in Tel Aviv, I would also not want to move because it really is probably some of the best uh, property <laughs> in Tel Aviv. Uh, they should turn it into a hotel. I think it would be great. Anyway, so this was the situation. The thing about the Bill Clinton law was that they understood that this would annoy a whole bunch uh, of people when uh, when when this moved. There would be anger from the Palestinians and from the Arabs, and there were concerns in America. Um, and, and so there was a clause every six months, if the American president felt as though, uh, there would be a, um, a security risk to American troops or American interests, then he could, uh, uh, then he could waver it. And that's what happened. Under Bill Clinton, under George Bush, under Barack Obama, every six months, Everyone would waive this thing and every single president would promise that moving the embassy to Jerusalem would be something that they would want to do, including Donald Trump. However, in the first six months of his presidency, uh, he didn't do it. Uh, He felt pressure. He didn't want to do it. Whatever the case was, he signed the waiver, as they like to say, and nothing happened. And then on the second time around, uh, Trump was no longer uh, prepared to uh, be so nice about it and he decided no he's signing it and uh, they are going to to move the embassy now interestingly you know there's not a lot of space in jerusalem and uh, particularly in american embassies a very secure building so you can't just some so move this thing so what they're going to do is take the consulate uh which currently is there they do have an american consulate in jerusalem and basically the ambassador will move in there and they will like kind of flip the sign and say okay now that's the embassy and and from there, um, then that will that will now be the embassy of Israel. And then that will give them a bit of time to actually figure out what to do next. And they're looking for, for other places. Now, what might be of interest to you um, is, first of all, what does that mean for the status of, of Jerusalem? So they're not moving the embassy into East Jerusalem, which is like sort of the contested part. Uh, most people kind of accept that the west part is, is Israeli 
property. Uh, so that it's not like contravening any kind of international law or anything like that. Uh, so, so they're still claiming that they do still want to divide Jerusalem, but you know they're going to do it via via uh, they, they're still recognizing sort of West Jerusalem. So there's going to be an interesting debate to see what happens there. But Trump is not being particularly original when he decides to do this, and this is what's interesting because there was a period. A short period when at least 16 countries actually had their ambassadors uh, stationed in the city. Three of them were African nations, uh, the Ivory Coast, Zaire, uh, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Kenya. And 11 were from South American countries, including Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, Panama, Uruguay and Venezuela, uh, as well as Guatemala, which began uh, opening up an embassy there, uh, and Haiti. Now, the only European nation actually uh, to to join was the Netherlands, uh, and they they were there uh, also. Now, so what happened to all these embassies? Why is this such a big deal? Uh, because now, when Trump's moving the embassy, he's actually going to be the first person or state to move there are no more embassies so so what happened why is this even a problem in the first place so the first was uh, the yom kippur war um after the yom kippur war all the african nations that were connected to israel actually cut ties and um and 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 removed their embassy so bang went ivory coast say uh, and Kenya, uh, and although they eventually all restored their embassies in the 80s, they then moved them to Tel Aviv. Uh, and the 13 remaining states decided to close their embassies after the Knesset passed a law basically uh, annexing East Jerusalem and making it uh, and, and making Jerusalem the capital uh, of, of Israel. Um, and because of that, the Security Council uh, took a resolution which uh, called upon member states to withdraw their diplomatic uh, missions from um, from from Jerusalem, which is what exactly what happened. And although Costa Rica and El Salvador uh, brought the embassies back to West Jerusalem for a spell, uh, they had left the city uh, once again, um, and, and Bolivia had broken off relations completely. So. Uh, that is where it's it's basically sat from about 2000 on and uh and so now we're back to kind of square one and it'll be interesting to see what happens next trump is going to move the embassy um then there will be uh the guatemalans are saying that they might move uh, some of the other south american cities might move uh so perhaps there will in fact be a change in the way that we see uh, Jerusalem and where it's run, and perhaps uh, Trump will be a uh, be something of a trailblazer in getting embassies back to Jerusalem. But he certainly wasn't the first. So there we go. That's what's going on with embassies today uh, in Jerusalem. So now you you can be informed at the history, uh, and uh, yeah. That's that's that. Let's listen to a little bit of some music now. And we'll come back. We're going to be talking about uh, Ethiopia and uh, President Rivlin's recent visit there. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome back 
to the program. Good to be with you. Listener has uh, SMSed in saying Trump has moved to the embassy. Why speak as though it hasn't happened? Uh, so, listener, thank you very much, first of all, for sending in. Uh, but my understanding is that it hasn't happened. Uh, Trump has announced that the, the embassy is moving, and I think that the actual ceremony takes place today. Uh, so, um, unless you have better information than me, uh, in which case, uh, please let me know. 34519. Uh, email on air at com, tweet us at at chaifem, whatsapp us on 061-895-1019. Uh, very happy to, to, to have a chat about, uh, to have a chat about that, but uh, certainly uh, a momentous, uh, a momentous uh, occasion, whether it is happening today, tomorrow, or, or, or even next week. Now, moving on to something uh, slightly different, I would say, uh, to, to talk about today. Uh, in, in all the excitement that has been going on with embassies and with Iran and all of these sorts of things, there is a something which has kind of been missing a little bit from the news. And that is that President Rivlin uh, of Israel went to visit Ethiopia a couple of weeks ago. And uh, President Rivlin would become the first president to actually visit an African country uh, ever. There's never been an Israeli president that has visited Ethiopia, uh, despite uh, the Ethiopians having a very uh, good relationship with uh, uh, with Israel. Uh, I, I suspect that prime ministers may have visited in the past. I'm not sure, but certainly as a president, there's never it's never been the case. And uh, and so Rivlin went there to Ethiopia, and they signed several cooperation ag- agreements in the fields of health, education, energy, and uh, agriculture. And this came during the Ethiopian-Israel Business Forum held in Addis Ababa uh, and uh, coincided with the conclusion of the visit by President Ruben Rivlin uh, accompanying this delegation to Addis uh, Ababa. And uh, according to this agency, which was the Ethiopian news agency, which reported on the matter, the agricultural agreements focused on irrigation, agriculture, preservation of water, and uh, health education. Of course, I'm sure something that wasn't announced but was discussed was security issues because the Ethiopians have uh, problems with Somalia on its border and uh, you know, and are concerned about Islamists. So I'm sure that that would have been on the agenda as well, but was another interesting thing that I noted out of this was uh, if you look at the Times of Israel article on this and, and a couple of others, is that it wasn't completely a government and even a business-led delegation. Uh, as part of uh, the discussions, a lot of NGOs were brought uh, forward uh, as part of um, as part of the discussions to. Uh, to engage, um, uh, I don't know if they were there, but I'm sure you know NGOs like Innovation Africa, uh, which does a lot of water wells all over the continent. Uh, and uh, I know that there are, are a lot of um, the JDC, which is the jo- Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, which is actually an American organization, uh, which does a lot of philanthropic work in different countries. They were there. So and bringing didn't just bring the government and business, but also brought the NGO sector and even uh, Israeli Ethiopian or Ethiopian Israeli singer Esther Rada, um, who is a, uh, a very famous singer in Israel. She was also part of the delegation. So it was quite interesting to see that there's a very much a, a multi-sectoral approach to how Israel is doing its diplomacy. It's not just led by the government uh, and it's not just about business, but it's also about how people can help and, and engage 
and uh, you know just be part of the solution. And I think it's uh, also quite uh, important, um, an, an important step. Interestingly, the Ethiopians, just on our last story with embassies. They've never had an embassy in Israel. They've only ever had a consulate, uh, and and that one was also in Jerusalem for a time. So they they were another one on that list. So that is, uh, you know, that is it's quite interesting, um, and Ethiopians an important part of the the eastern continent. They're a growing country, unfortunately not very democratic. Uh, so hopefully that's something that improves. Uh, but they are an important ally, an historic ally. The Ethiopian people have a connection to Israel through the religion. They have a very ancient form of Christianity that, that operates in the country, which is sort of very connected to Israel through um through the Queen of Sheba story when, you know, of course, Queen of Sheba went to visit King Solomon. And so there's been that link uh, ever since. And in fact, Reuben Rivlin actually joked while he was at the ceremony that uh, that he was making the return visit that Queen Sheba made, you know, 2000 plus years ago. Uh, so interesting to see what that means. Uh, Israel is looking to the African states for support at the UN. And we've seen some very interesting trends and patterns in the last couple of years where where African countries not necessarily vote with Israel on every single issue, but in in, in UN politics, if US abstain, it actually uh, constitutes uh, can constitute quite a powerful message. Uh, and so we've seen some abst- abstinations on, on key issues, uh, condemning various things. Uh, unfortunately, I think that the Israelis would like them <laughs> to be more aggressive on some of the Palestinian issues. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, uh, but nonetheless, it is. Um, a sort of powerful and interesting signal that that this is happening, especially after the Togo conference last year was cancelled and uh, and there was some pushback on Israel's engagement with Africa. This was a very good and nice thing to see. So uh, I'm quite uh, quite happy about that and uh, keep watching the space because I'm sure that this will not be uh, the last engagement with Ethiopia or indeed with Africa because this is definitely on the Israeli agenda. Let's take a break and a little bit more music and we come back we're talking about photo exhibitions. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, New Blue Review. As we come up to the end of the show, I just thought I would let you know about something else that's exciting that's happening in our community. If you've been listening to the the radio, uh, uh, my show, Kathy's show, a couple of others in the last while, you might remember that there have been some very interesting projects that was happening, particularly with the embassy and the South African Friends of Israel, where they took some Instagrammers, some to South Africa, some to Israel, two of them. Of course, you know Instagrammers. These are people who professionally uh, take pictures of coffee uh, and then stick it on their Instagram uh, and get lots of likes and followers. Uh, and I'm joking. It's not just coffee. They take real pictures as well. And uh, and these Instagrammers, they get thousands and thousands and thousands, millions even of people uh, who are looking at their work and uh, enjoying it. And so uh, two Instagrammers went to Israel, two Instagrammers came to South Africa, and they were all about setting up a photo dialogue, uh, a sort of discussion in uh, in pictures about what is going on in Israel and South Africa and what are the similarities. And what's fascinating is they've now decided to put together an exhibition of all of their best work. Now, I've seen some of the pictures, uh, and they really are spectacular, stuff that you've seen uh, that you've never seen in Israel before. The people, the places, they've managed to capture it in a completely different way, uh, and likewise with South Africa. So uh, if, if photography is your thing and Israel is your thing and you're sick and tired of the mainstream media 
misrepresenting how the country looks, this is a fantastic opportunity for you. I'd really encourage you uh, to go look at the Yala Yebo um, exhibition, which is coming up. And uh, it's going to be between the 31st of May uh, and uh, I think it's two weeks into June. So you can go and have a look. And I'm sure that there'll be more advertising soon. But just so you know, you heard it here first because it really is a fantastic uh, exhibition and well worth looking at. It's going to be at the Photo ZA in Rosebank. Pretty much all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the new Blue Review with me, Benji Shulman. Thank you so much to Mandy, who does the production. Uh, Craig, who pushes all uh, the big red buttons. Lucy, who does some of the, the sound stuff, Kathy, who runs the station, and everybody who listens to the show, we really appreciate it. Won't be back next week because it is Shovel Ward, uh, but a uh, week after that, we're chatting about how do we get young people involved in the community. Looking forward to having the discussion. See you then.